My train lumbered into Lucknow, a cultural whirlpool in North India, famous for its silken kebabs, exquisite embroidery and soulful poetry. But I was here for something even more eye-popping. My trip was stoked by half a century old discoveries in India, finds that deemed the subcontinent as the ground zero of a fascinating mammalian evolution. I was at the home of 78-year-old Ashok Sahani, a sensei of Indian paleontology. So this was something like in 70s, in the 1970s. There had been reports that there was the large skulls, but nobody in India, in fact, had identified them. And one of my students, he was a young guy then, he went to Kutch and came up with uh, several fossils. We, we found Vijay, uh, Vijay Prakash Mishra. This is the student Ashok was talking about. He's now in his 60s, but four decades ago, at the age of 21, Vijay Prakash started scouring the desiccated Kutch region in western India. This salt-crusted desert was once a shallow sea, rife with plankton and fish. So, initially, we expected uh, marine vertebrates, crocodiles, but uh, we didn't know that we would get uh, certain things which were not known from India. You are listening to Desi Stones and Bones, an audio series that holds up a match flame so you can claw through cobwebs of our ancestral past and ogle at fantastic creatures that trod the Indian subcontinent millions of years ago. Vijay Prakash spent several sweaty days sauntering along the sun-torched flat hills in Kutch. Once we used to go to field, you know, uh, our faces used to get tanned. <laughs> So we used to have like a big beard those days. <laughs> he knocked around for bones and brown stones dotted with white fossils of snails and clams, almost like marshmallows on chocolate. One particular search happened soon after the monsoons. Water buffaloes dunked themselves in ponds and herders rambled along with their goats. It was a cool November morning in the 1970s. Mishra finally found some fossils. So we collected some uh, teeth and uh, some vertebra fragments, limb bone fragments, skull fragments. Once we brought the fossils here and in the lab, we started working. And then we zeroed on that it looks like a whale, whale fossil. Whale fossils. It was a first in India. They were very typical. And uh, for a person who had studied vertebrate paleontology, it was not a big thing, you know to see that they were primitive whales. These were ancestral remains of the biggest animal on our planet. Those that belong to the order of animals called cetaceans, basically whales, dolphins, and porpoises. Then about a decade later in 1981, digs in parts of northern Pakistan also sprung a bounty, cetacean fossil finds, but this time with limbs. That was a huge, huge discovery because it showed animals that were, were becoming like whales had all the four limbs. During the time of Greek philosopher Aristotle, more than 2,000 years ago, whales were differentiated from fish. 
Whales gave birth to young ones, while fish laid eggs. But no one, not even the legendary biologist Charles Darwin, could chart the route taken by this mammal from land to water. In the first edition of the iconic book, The Origin of Species, published in 1859, Darwin speculated that whales could have evolved from some kind of a bear-like animal. But that theory was mocked by several people, and the lines got a boot in subsequent editions. More than a century later, phenomenal clues emerged in the Indian subcontinent. My travels took me to Roorkee, a town at the foothills of the Himalayas. I was here to meet Sunil Bajpai, a paleontologist at the Indian Institute of Technology. Good morning. Sunil followed the tracks of Ashok and Vijay Prakash in Kutch. He would spend the night in a neighbouring town and take the only available bus before dawn to a place called Harudi. This was the 1980s. Geneticists had just linked whales to hoofed mammals. Dolphins and whales may have taken like fish to water, but they were more closely related to hippos and cows than sharks and sardines. And fossil finds were confirming those facts. Darwin probably had the right idea, but the wrong animal. So the real whale story actually begins from about 47, 48 million years old rocks in Pakistan and India, and then uh, goes up to about 40 million years old rocks. It documents a transition of a whale-like mammal from land to water. For more than a decade, Sunil spent many a sweaty afternoons in Kutch, the quiet desert air punctured by the faintest hum of an insect or the whispering wind. He soaked in the landscape streaked with white limestone ledges, rusty iron oxide and muddy stones riddled with fossil clams. These were dregs of an evacuated tenant, the Tethys Sea. But he wasn't the only admirer. I kind of like the rocks. Hans Theveson, a Dutch-American paleontologist, was Sunil's collaborator. The bright reds and bright yellow and white, and they sort of remind me of a Hindu temple <laughs> in, the color in the color choices. These rocks were created during an epoch called the Eocene, a time of balmy weather even at the now icy poles. This was about 50 million years ago. The Indian subcontinent was drifting closer to Asia, squeezing out the dividing Tethys Sea along its northern fringes. It was around this time a cat-sized, deer-like animal scurried along leafy riverbanks close to the Tethys Sea. It may have plunged into the water to avoid predators or to skim food. This was the hoofed mammal Indo-Hyas, the Indian pig. A fossil of Indo-Hyas landed on Hans's lap in 2005 through the widow of a territorial Indian geologist, A. Rangarao. Rangarao had scooped truckloads of fossils from Kalakot in Kashmir, where alongside the grass-eating Indo-Hyas lay fossil whales. While chipping at the Indo-Hyas relic back in America, Hans's fossil handler accidentally broke a skull bone. One side of the small, bowl-shaped chip was thicker than the other. And this is where the story really begins. So this tiny little animal that looks like a, a deer had an involucrum. 
an involucrum, essentially an unevenly thick ear bone that looked a bit like a cracked walnut shell. Imagine a bowl that, that the potter makes and it goes wrong and it, it, there's all the clay is on one side and very little clay is on the other. So that's sort of what that bone looks like. It was an organ that conclusively identified whales. Only whales hear that way using that, you know, that structure. This bone ranked higher than blubber. This happy accident proved that the Indohyas, a hoofed terrestrial herbivore, was perhaps one of the earliest ancestors of whales to dive from land to water. The deer-like Indohyas was followed by the sharp-toothed Pachycetus. The fossil of this wolf-faced primitive whale was found in 1981. An American paleontologist, Philip Gingrich, discovered it in northern Pakistan on marine beds left behind by the Tethys Sea. Hence the name Paki for Pakistan and Cetus for Wales. The Indohyas had eyes at the sides of its head. In the Paki Cetus, the sockets had migrated to the top of its skull. Like a crocodile, this feature may have allowed it to spot prey at a river's edge while it stayed submerged, launch an ambush perhaps on an unsuspecting animal. It wasn't a herbivore anymore. Ashok pipes in. For any animal or any organism to change its habit, how it derives nourishment or where it's living, there has to be some kind of ecological stress. If we're happy wherever you are, you are not going to change, isn't it? This ancient ocean, the Neotethys, that separated India from Asia, that was shallowing and narrowing. So it created the ecological opportunity. After Pachycetus came the clumsy otter-like Ambulocetus. Hans unearthed this fossil in 1991 in Pakistan. Ambulocetus, literally walking whale, was amphibious. It had a strong muscular tail and possibly webbed walrus-like feet. It was cozy in riverine environments, lacing salty seas. This kind of set the stage for Remingtonocetus, the first truly marine ancestral whale. The crocodile-headed ancestor probably splashed about in muddy lagoons and had small eyes, which meant it used its sense of smell to catch fish. Basically, earliest ones really look more like wolves than like whales. That's Hans sculpting an image of ancestral whales. And shortly thereafter, there's whales that look more like crocodiles. The whales in India that we found um, look more like seals or sea lions or otters. Here I was in Roorkee with a chance to touch and feel this primitive whale. Sunil lifted the Remingtonocetus fossil from his lab bench for me to see. This is the beautiful skull I was uh, telling you about. So. I marveled at its eye sockets crowning its petrified skull and the nostrils at the tip of its crocodile-like snout. 
I mean, it was in a big block of limestone, and only part of it was visible when it was found. You want me to hold it? No, no, it's fine. See the nostril there, mm. near the anterior end, yeah. Small eyes. My God. In the 1980s, Sunio's mentor, Ashok Sahani, labeled the aquatic short-limbed Remington Ocetus after Remington Kellogg, a legendary American paleontologist. He was an authority on whales in the early 20th century. Ironically, in the 1930s, Remington had declared that whales didn't actually exist in the Indian Ocean during the muggy early Eocene. The earliest fossil whales in the 1930s were known from the Fayum Basin in Egypt, a place that is now called Wadi al-Hitan or Whale Valley. Four decades later, cetacean remains were bursting out of the banks of the Indus River in Pakistan, the rocky outcrops of Kashmir, and the barren Kutch Desert in India. The region won the badge of the graveyard of Wales and the subcontinent was stamped as the irrefutable cradle of whale evolution. The discovery of the Indian whale fossils sort of shifted attention from Africa to India. So Indo has Pakicetids, Ambulocetids and Remingdonocetids. These tags are more or less confined to India and Pakistan. This was the best documented case because you had so many fossils, so many skeletons from so many localities saying the same thing. Over a period of 10 million years, the land-dwelling primitive whales had waded into fresh water, then transformed to tolerate salty seas. But the design still needed polishing. The next slew of aquatic whales shed their limbs for fins and paddles. It was a cruise pass to a world tour. The streamlined pursued predators now followed their prey into deeper seas. So protoceteids are an important part of the early whale story, but uh, they are found, they are rather cosmopolitan. Fossils of marine protocetids are found across many continents. Africa, Europe, North America, South America. They probably were flukes and were about 10 feet long. Their nostrils had migrated from the tip to halfway up the snout. As protocetids chased prey, they zigzagged through waters of unconnected continents. Only after they become pursuit predators, chasing other, other, you know, chasing their prey, are they able to cross bigger bodies of water. So by the time you have, you come to Basilosaurus, they are basically all over the world. Basilosaurus means king lizard. The 19th century discoverer of these fossils had initially misidentified them as a giant sea serpent but it turned out to be a whale. This primitive whale had a narrow body, almost as long as a school bus. It wore front paddles like modern seals with tiny hind limbs. The nostrils or blowhole were now at the top of the head. Like New Age whales, Basilosaurus had facial bones that supported echolocation, which meant that they could process returning sound waves to navigate or find it had 
thick tissues in its ears to withstand pressure that allowed it to dive deeper and for longer. They are therefore seen as the true ancestors of modern whales. They were fairly well adapted to uh, to oceans, to a marine life. But as India locked into the Eurasian plates and the poles turned icy, the bacillosaurids went extinct. And then finally, around 35 million years ago, we have these two modern groups coming up, histocetes and uh, odontocetes, the baleen whales and the toothed whales. More than 50 million years ago, a small terrestrial animal with a dog-like snout originated around a riverbank neighbouring the Tethys Sea. It evolved to crisscross seas, reach foreign shores and transformed into the largest creature on Earth. Modern whales still bear traces of a four-legged past in the avatar of flippers and a reduced hip bone. And embryos of dolphins that are cetaceans, like whales, grow hind limbs in their mother's womb that disappear and see their nose opening shift from the front of the face to the top of the head. This, the beauty of the story is that you had a land animal that was able to completely adapt to uh, life in the water. There was no big predator. All the sea monsters finished with the dinosaurs. You know, you had big sharks. There was no mammal. There actually was the top predator. And this was the ideal opportunity for a medium-sized animal to try and exploit this ecological niche. Thank you for listening. Reach out via Twitter or email if you want to know more about a particular fossil or have a story in mind. It's immensely fruitful for me to record and bring these conversations and on-ground chatter to you. More importantly, these are stories that need to be shouted out from the rooftops. They spotlight the rich diversity that preceded us, and I really hope it encourages us to do something to curb the utter paucity that could follow. <laughs>